Yes, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. When the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with, undefiled, with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Father in heaven, we ask you to speak to us today. Uh, Lord, we want our hearts to be right with you. God, we need help today just seeing our hearts accurately. Uh, Father, we have a, a tendency to deceive ourselves, even about our own hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that our, our faith, our religion would not be one of doing the right thing outwardly, but, God, that it would be one of the heart. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, would you show us our hearts, you would change our hearts, that you would take out a, our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Lord, we ask for your work in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone was showing me this uh, video the other day, or it's actually a series of videos on the internet, and it's something about don't be that guy. And uh, it, they're just kind of funny little videos about don't be this type of guy, you know. And they have, uh, they have like one on running, you know, and, and they kind of make fun of the different ways guys run. You know, don't be that guy. They have one on uh, uh, sneezing, I think, you know. It's uh, don't be the guy that, you know, has this monster sneeze that blows all everybody. And don't be the guy that holds it in and you think his head's going to explode. And, you know, they have one on the gym. Don't be that guy at the gym. So anyway, there's just a serious, don't be that type of guy. Well, as I, as I read this passage, as I read Mark, 
Mark chapter 7. Man, the thing that just impressed upon my heart is I don't want to be that guy, okay? I don't want to be these guys here in chapter 7, these scribes and the Pharisees who, who, who are sitting there with the Son of God in front of them. Jesus Christ come out of heaven, the, the God of the universe. He, he, he's healing blind. He's healing the disease. He's giving sight to the blind. The lame are walking. The dead are being raised. You remember the little story a couple weeks ago about the Jarius little little girl who died and Jesus comes and, and reaches down into death and brings that little girl to life and just these glorious, incredible, awesome, you know, majestic things are happening all around them and these guys come in and they start throwing the penalty flags because Jesus' disciples, you know, Peter and James and John didn't wash their hands before supper, you know. I, I, here's what I don't want to be. I don't want to be the guy that, 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 that makes a big deal out of nothing it makes no deal out of the big deal, okay? That, that's really important to me that I don't be that guy. Because I think in churches, there's a lot of that guy. There, there's a lot of these scribes and Pharisees type of people who make a huge deal out of nothing and who, who don't make any kind of deal out of the thing that's big, okay? And the problem here that we see in Mark chapter 7 is, is that these, these religious leaders, they, they, they focused on the wrong things as far as their faith and their spiritual life. Everything for them is what happens on the outside, okay? Everything for them is, am I dressed right? Is my hair combed right? Do, do I look right? You know, am I going to the right church? Am I, are we playing the right instruments? Am I singing the right songs? Am I, am I going through all the outward motions? On the outside, do I look really good? And basically, Jesus says, you missed it completely. Because faith in God is not about the outside, okay? It's not about what kind of show you put on for everybody. It's not about what everybody else thinks of you. It's not about having all these things just right in your life. Real faith in Jesus Christ is about what happens on the inside. It is about the heart. It is about, is your heart connected to Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Has your heart been changed? What is happening on the inside of you? Now, let me tell you what these guys got right, okay? What they got right is they, they knew from the Scriptures that God is a holy God. They got that right. God is a holy God. That God is pure, that he is righteous, and that sinners cannot dwell with God, okay? So if you're defiled, if you're impure, if you're unholy, if you're unclean, they, they got that right. You can't, you can't be with God. You, you can't have a relationship with God. You, sinners cannot dwell with God Almighty because he is holy. But what they, what they completely confused was what makes you holy, what makes you righteous, what makes you clean, what makes you, what makes you able to have a relationship with God. And so in focusing on what defiles a person, that word defile simply means to make common or unclean or pollute, they, they, they were right about that. But what they completely missed is what makes you unclean, okay, what makes you clean. Now, let me give you a little history lesson here. I think that's necessary for us to understand what's going on here. Um, in the Old Testament, okay, what, here, here's a little brief synopsis of the Old Testament, okay. God appears to Abraham, makes Abraham all kinds of promises about what he's going to do through his family. Abraham begins to have children. A nation is born. That nation goes into slavery in Egypt. 400 years later, God brings his people out of Egypt, okay? Very significant. As he brings his people out of Egypt, he gives them the moral and the ceremonial law, okay? So if you go back and look in, in the book of Leviticus, for instance, and uh, in the book, some of, some of Exodus, some of Numbers, some of Deuteronomy, you're going to see lots of the moral and ceremonial law, okay? The moral law was things like you know, don't, don't have any other gods before me. Don't murder, don't covet, don't commit adultery. The ceremonial law was, was things that would make Israel, a couple things here. Number one, it would make them separate, okay? 
God brings them out of Egypt, and what he tells them is, okay, guys, you're going to be my people, okay? You're not going to be Egyptians. You're not going to be Canaanites. You're not going to be, you're going to be my people. I'm going to set you apart as, as my people. And so because of that, God gave them certain restrictions that would make them unique. It would make them different from the rest of the world. And what he also did through that was he was giving them pictures, okay? He was kind of, it was kind of kindergarten, all right? He was giving them pictures of what was coming when Jesus would come as the Messiah. Okay, let me give you some examples of that. Some examples of that, for instance, are the sacrificial system. Okay? You remember what would happen? The Israelite was commanded to go to his flock. He was to pick the best lamb. Okay? Not the one that had the broken leg. Not the one that had the eyeball hanging out. Not the one that you know, got chewed up by the wolf the day before. Okay? They were to pick their best lamb. The pure lamb. And they were to take that lamb and to bring it to the altar and to bring it to the priest. And the priest would kill that lamb and he would take the blood and he would splatter it on the altar and he would put it on the priest's ear and it would be a sign to them that something had to die for your sins, okay? Now, do, do, do sheep's blood take away sin? No, they do not, okay? I don't care how many sheep you kill, it's not going to take away your sins. If it did, we'd all be sheep farmers. That's what. That's the business that I would go into, is sheep farming if sheep's blood could take away your sin. But what was the purpose of that? Well, the purpose of that was for them to obey God, to, 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 to be people of faith, but looking forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would come and live a perfect life and die and shed his blood that our sins could be taken away. Can Jesus' blood take away sins? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? Well, there were other things like that in the Old Testament. For instance, the food laws. Okay? Jesus deals with that here in, uh, in verse, uh, where is it? Nine, uh, 18 and 19. It says, Then you are, you are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And so Jesus is making a fundamental change here, okay? So you've got the food loss. You've got ceremonial cleansing, okay? That's really what this passage is about, is this ceremonial cleansing. If you remember, I think we've talked about this before. In the Old Testament... It, a person, if, if they touched a dead person, if they touched a leper, if they touched uh, someone with an issue of blood, a discharge of blood, they would be ceremonially unclean. What does that mean? That means you can't go to church. Okay? You can't go to the temple. You, you had to be cleansed. You had to go through a ceremonial rite of cleansing. So it was usually some kind of washing or something that would make you clean. All right? Jesus steps on the scene. All right? Now, is what makes you clean whether you wash your hands right? No, no. But what, what was God teaching us? God was teaching us something about you have to be clean to come into my presence. All right? And Jesus, Jesus is going to teach us what really makes us clean. And, and notice he does that in a couple ways. He does that through, through verbally teaching us, but he also does it through his example. Okay? What, what did I say makes you unclean according to the, to the book of Leviticus? Touching a leper, touching a woman with, with a discharge of blood, and touching a corpse. Okay? A dead person. Let's look at what Jesus does here. All, all, we've, already, we've already covered these in Mark, okay? Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 41. What happens here? Jesus uh, has a leper come up to him and, and plead with him. If you will, you can make me clean. Verse 41 says, move with pity. He stretched out his hand and, it's very clear here, touched him. See that? Touched him. Touched him and said, I will be clean, okay? If you go into the, into, into the gospel or into the chapter 5, go to chapter 5. Jesus um, meets a woman who has a discharge of blood. Verse 25. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, rather grew worse. And she had heard reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. 
Okay? How about a dead person? Well, Jerry's little daughter, uh, she's really sick. Jerry's comes to get Jesus. While, while Jerry's is getting Jesus, this little girl dies. And in verse 41, Jesus comes in and it says very clearly, taking her by the hand. Jesus grabs the hand of a corpse, okay? Taking her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. What does Jesus do already in the gospel of Mark? He breaks all those rules, okay? He, he touches the leper. He touches the woman with the discharge of blood. He touches the corpse. You know why? Because it's not ritual washing that makes you clean. Jesus makes you clean, all right? Jesus makes you clean. Jesus makes you clean. That, that's what makes a person clean, all right? So Jesus is teaching them these things. It is not water that makes you clean. In Titus 3, 5, it says it's the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so the Pharisees had their mindset completely wrong about what does it mean to be a person of faith. For them, it was all about the outward ceremonies. It was all about the outward life. None of it was about the inward life. And you know what Jesus calls that? Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Okay, We all know about hypocrites, right? Evidently, we're all hypocrites. Uh, you know how I know that? Because about one out of three lost people that I talk to and I invite them to church, they tell me they're not going to come because of the... Yeah, so I guess they're talking about us. I don't know. Uh, but they're out there, I guess. Uh, verse, verse 6 says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay? So, so a hypocrite is somebody who claims something outwardly. Okay? There's somebody who claims something outwardly, but inwardly, on the inside, in the heart, they are something different. Okay? That, that's what a hypocrite is. It's somebody who on the outside says, I'm righteous. Who on the outside says, man, I'm, I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm a holy person. But on the inside, there's something very different going on. And Jesus says, that's what you guys are and the reason is you're not dealing with the heart all you're dealing with is the outward outward life okay and and here's the real dangerous thing about just dealing with the outward life what happens is we usually make up our own rules eventually okay that's exactly what happened here in 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 mark chapter 7 we make our own rules about what it means to be righteous okay uh look at this in verse 10 he says for moses said honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Okay, that's one of the Ten Commandments. God told us to love people, and we're particularly supposed to honor our father and mother. Okay, that's one of the Ten Commandments. But what had happened here? Well, in verse 11 says, But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban. Okay, that word Corban means given to God. Okay, so they'd set up a tradition. You know what their tradition was? Their tradition was, we're so spiritual that all of our stuff belongs to God. Okay? All of our stuff belongs to God. So if our mom or dad needs something, we're not going to help them because all of us, our stuff belongs to God. Now, here's how, here's how this really works well. What they meant by it belongs to God is they meant that when I die, God can have it, okay? And so it's all committed to God. So I can't give it to you. Well, that's really convenient, isn't it? Sorry, mom. Can't help you. My stuff belongs to God, which means I'm going to use it till I die, you know? Uh, listen, it's really easy for us just to make up our own traditions about what it means to be righteous. This is so true today. I bet you anything you could think of examples of this. I, I, I talk to people all the time. You know, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you, are you a person of faith? Many people will say, yes, yes, I, I am. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. And I'll ask them, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? And they'll say, because I do. And they'll say some things. It's really interesting what they say. 
You know, it's really interesting what they say and what they don't say. You know, you know what they say? What they say is whatever they do. You know what they don't say? Whatever they don't do. I mean, that's the thing about man-made religion is you get to make it up. You know, I've, I've heard people tell me all kinds of stuff. Well, I'm going to heaven because I don't do this. I, don't, you know, I lived in a community for a long time, and they believed they were going to heaven because they had their white walls on the inside of their tires, not on the outside of the tires. They believed they were going to heaven because they didn't have radios in their car. They didn't have TVs in their houses because the women wore dresses and put their hair in a bun. I mean, I mean, literally, I had conversations with guys that you're telling me you think you're going to heaven, and I'm not going to heaven because of your tires? I mean, really? Yeah. You're laughing, but we do the same things. We have these little man-made, well, people that looked at, I've seen churches split over the color of carpet, over what was on the stage, whether it was a drum, an organ, or a piano. Man, people thought, that's a spiritual thing. No, 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 no. No. The tricky thing is about that, not only is it not dealing with the heart, but we're making up our own rules. We're at this uh, Museum of Science and Industry. I may have told you this story. It was such a, it was so cool when it happened. I told my kids, I'm going to use that in a sermon illustration. I've already got it lined up for man up. I'm going to use it in man up, but I'm going to use it today too. I may have already used it, but it was, it was this big, big lever is what it was. And it was, it was a science exhibit on leverage. Okay. So imagine a big swinging lever. Okay. It's on this little pivot, this axle deal. It's big swinging. And, and the kind of in the middle of it is a rope going out on one side at the top of it is a rope going out on the other side. Okay. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to play tug of war who's gonna win the guy who's got the leverage okay every time in fact you could stack five people on one side and you could put a pretty small person on the other side the person that's got the leverage is still gonna win well we never actually got to try out the leverage side you know why because there was a 12 year old boy i'm just guessing his age somewhere around 12 who from the time we entered the museum Till about four hours later when we left the museum, never left that one side. He never let go of the rope. Four hours. Never let go. The kid had sweat pouring down his face. But everybody that would come along to try out the, 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 the exhibit, you know, they, they couldn't try it out themselves as a family. No, no, no. They could try it out on the other side. And what happened? He whipped them every time, you know. You, you know what he was doing? He'd found a place where he could win. He found a place where he was a strong guy. He found a place where he was the Hulk, you know. I mean, he found a place where, where he could win. You know what a lot of people do with religion? They find a place where they can, where they can win. So you know what? This, this is why I'm right. I'm right because I dress this way. I do this. I, I have these ceremonies. I, I have this kind of whatever. And that's why I'm righteous. Oh, folks, that's a really dangerous thing to do. And it's a really dangerous thing to do because the Bible is very clear. You're not made clean or unclean by things outside of you. You're made clean or unclean by what's inside of you. You know, sometimes as Christians, we we get to thinking that the world is what defiles us, right? You know, we we don't want to be by certain people. We don't want to sit by certain people. We don't sit by sinners, you know. Why? Because it's like germs, like the flu. It rubs off on you, you know. You're going to catch it. And and we don't want to be in certain places. You know, and hey... There's definitely a principle in the Bible. I talk to my kids about it all the time. He who walks with the wise will be wise. Companion and fools suffer harm. New Testament says bad company corrupts good morals. There's a principle there. But, but, but that's a principle of influence, okay? The truth of the matter is, sin is not out there. This can be really discouraging if you didn't know this. Sin is in here. 
Where's sin at? It's in your heart. That's where it's at. Okay? So it's not about just doing the right things on the outwardly. You've got to deal with what's in your heart. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says in verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of him? Okay? For from within, from within, out of the heart of a man, come. And then he lists a whole bunch of stuff. Notice the first thing he lists. Evil thoughts. I wonder why he mentions that first. I, I think I know why, actually. If we read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus makes it very clear. He makes it very clear. He, he starts the Sermon on the Mount by saying this. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll, all like, no, you'll not enter the kingdom of God. And the reason he says that is because, again, these guys had a very outward view of religion, okay? And so what they would do is they would look at the commandment. They would say, okay, God's command says don't murder. And then, I've done this before for you, so indulge me one more time. So they would draw a line and they would say, okay, this is murder, okay? Here's murder. Right here on this line is where you take out the knife, you kill somebody. Where you take out the gun, you shoot somebody. You take out the cyanide, sprinkle it in their Cheerios, you know? Here's the line of murder, okay? And so... Well, a person says, well, you know what? I've never done that. I've never taken anybody's life. And so they would get up on their scoreboard and they would check that one off. Murder. That's one for me. I've never done it. Okay. And then they would go back down and they would say, okay, now the line is adultery. God says, don't commit adultery. And they would say, all right, what adultery is? We know what it is. It's having a sexual relationship with someone that's not your spouse. You know what? Haven't done that. Okay. They'd reach up, check that one off. Pretty soon they got all these checks. And I notice they usually don't mention the things they have done, but they mention the things they haven't done, you know, that they, they've been righteous. And they say, okay, this is my righteousness. But here's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know what you don't realize is God's not just looking at your outer life. God is looking where? God's looking where? Lincoln Avenue. He's looking at your heart. And you see, this line extends out over this way so that where you get on the line for murder is what? It's anger. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. It's anger. Where does murder begin? It begins with anger. And so if you've got anger in your heart against somebody else, okay, and you're stoking that anger, you're not repenting of it. You're just, you're just fueling it. You know how you do a campfire, right? You just stoke it up. You remember all they've done. You think about how bad they are. You cultivate that bitterness in your heart, and you just keep it there. You know what the Bible says? You're a murderer. I know you're not going to believe me, so I'm going to read it. 1 John 3.15, here we go. 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, Jesus says it right there. If you're on that line, if you're on that line, then your heart is not right and God is looking at your heart. Well, how about adultery? Can, can, we, can we check that off? Well, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if a man looks at a woman in lust in his heart, He's committed adultery with her already. God's looking at the heart. And so what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, is he says, get back over to that scoreboard, okay? And you better erase your mark with murder. And instead of putting a check mark there, what you need to write is, I am a murderer. And go over there to that adulterer one, and you better erase your little check mark. And you better write on that one, I am an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. And you know what pretty soon you get to doing? You Pretty soon you get to realizing... Jesus, I need a savior. I need a savior. You know what happens? He said, I need a new heart, Jesus, because mine is broken and it's not where it should be. And, and so the first thing he mentions here is evil thoughts. And you know the tricky thing about evil thoughts is nobody sees them but you, right? You see, 
We all really like for other people to validate us. We, we like for other people to believe that we're something, right? That we're a certain person, a certain type of person. And then the thing that's tricky about that is nobody else can see our hearts. And, and so you know what we often do? We often, we often, we don't face up to those thoughts. I mean, that's true, right? Nobody can see your thoughts. I mean, right now you could be thinking just terrible things about somebody, you know? It could be me. You know, you could be dreaming about ways that I get run over by a truck later on this afternoon. And, and yet when we, when we leave this place, you could walk right out of there and you could smile, you know? And I'd just be thinking, man, that's a great guy, you know? And you, you're, you're picturing tire tracks on my head, you know? But we don't know that. We don't know it. But God knows that. That's right. God knows that. And God's looking at the heart, folks. Evil thoughts, okay? Notice what else he says here. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, come sexual immorality. Where does sexual immorality come from? It, it, it doesn't come from the brothel. It doesn't come from the, the, the bar. It doesn't come. It, I mean, it happens in those places. But, but here's where sexual immorality comes from. It comes from the heart of people. That's where it's conceived. That's, that's where it flows out of. Adultery, murder, coveting, wanting things that are not yours, and being discontent with what God's given you, wickedness, deceit, all these things right here in the text, verses verse 21 and 21, 21 and 22, deceit. You know what deceit is? It's, here's the definition I got. Cunning maneuvers designed to ensnare someone for personal advantage. It's all that mental jockeying and positioning and to, to put the screws to somebody, to hurt somebody. Cast them in a bad light. How about this one? Envy. You know what the Hebrew called that? It's simply translated evil eye. <laughs> having an evil eye. It's having an eye that, that looks with envy on people. Slander. You know what slander is? It's chopping people up. It's, it's, it's getting these people and telling ah, this person's an idiot. Man, this is what they are and this is what they are. And chop, 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 chop. Pride. Exalting yourself, boasting, thinking much of self and little of others. Foolishness, moral and spiritual insensitivity. And here's what Jesus is saying. All these things come from the heart. And so if you don't deal with the heart, you're not clean before God. It's so easy, isn't it? To not deal with the heart and pick other things, right? It's possible, isn't it, to say... Oh, I'm righteous. You know why I'm righteous? Because I, I go to church and I tithe and I do this and I do that and I do this and that. And that, this is, and put up all my stack. I don't dress this way. I don't have this thing. I'm not this type of person. I don't go to these places and get all of that. And still have a heart that's wrong, isn't it? it it's, it's possible to be the perfect church person, isn't it? Teach Sunday school for 30 years, you know? Be a leader. And yet, if your heart is not right, you're not dealing with what you need to deal with. So here's I tell you, here's where I'm going to steer this, and I'm doing this for me. Man, as I was looking at this passage, I kept coming back to this section, saying, "Man, this is what I need." You, you know what? You know what I get from this? You know what I get from what Jesus is saying here? How he's he's pressing on us that what it's what comes out of the heart. You you, you know what I get from that? Proverbs four twenty three. 
That's the verse that kept coming up in my mind over and over and over and over and over again. I memorized it a long time ago in the NAS. It says, guard your heart for from it flow the springs of life. In the ESV, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. You know what we need to do, folks? We need to deal with our hearts. When do we need to do that? Hey, why don't we put that on the calendar for uh, March? Is March good for everybody? If we put that on, you know what? I think that's probably unwise. Why don't we do it right now? Hey, let's do it now, okay? Let's do it now. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and deal with our hearts, all right? Let's, let's check the condition of our heart. How, how do we do that? How do we know what's in our hearts? You know how we know that? First of all, we've got to make a commitment that we're, we're looking at the heart and we're looking at it often, okay? Not other people's hearts because you can't see them, but you can see your own. And so we need to learn to look at our heart continually and often, you know, we live in a day and an age where we, we, we check our bodies out pretty thoroughly, don't we? I mean, well, there's a lot of people that are really good at just taking care of what, what their body, what's happening with their body, their health. You know, we got some guys over at Fifth Street. I pointed them out in the sermon. I love to do that. And, you know, we got some guys over there. They're, they're those shake guys, you know. They measure out, you know, I need... 29 grams of protein, you know, they're measuring it all out, you know, getting 29 grams and I need this many carbohydrates and I need this many vitamins and I need this, you know, they're, man, they're making sure their body, their, their health is just perfect. I just trust that it's all in that bacon cheeseburger. That's what I trust. It's, it's all right there. Everything I need to be specimen of health. Okay. That's what I trust. But some of you guys, you got man, Winnie, she got, how often you go get your blood work? Is that every week or every other week? Every two to three weeks, man, she'll come in. She comes in. Oh, she tells me, right. It's either thin or it's thick, you know, and it's it thins bad and thick's bad. You got to pray for both those. It needs to be right in the middle. You know, she takes her blood every couple weeks. You know, they check it all out, put it under a microscope, figure out what's going on. Does it need to be thicker? Does it need to be thinner? Some of you, you check your blood sugar all the time. Am I eating too many sweets? Not enough sweets, enough insulin, this, that. Some of you have, you have all those horrible procedures where they stick cameras in places that should never go and they look at things, you know, you're having nose and you're having scans and you're having x-rays and MRIs and PETs and FBIs and all kinds of, you know, just, just all kinds of stuff, checking everything out all the time. Well, that's all good. I, I agree with all that, but let me ask you this. How much more diligent should we check what's going on in our hearts? Man, we need to be diligent with that because your heart can go wrong real quick. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we just keep an eye on it, for one thing. The psalmist, I think, I'm so thankful for the psalms. <laughs> you know, the psalms are, are so many times when we don't know how to apply something, we just need to look in the psalms. Because the psalms are, it's the expression of the saints. It's God's people calling out to God like they should. L- listen to some of these psalms. Psalm 39, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. You hear that? Search me, God. Search it. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I think the psalmist, I think he's at an ask prayer meeting right there. I think that's what's happening. I think he's at a prayer meeting like we're going to have at 530 this afternoon. He's just calling out to God. God, show me my heart. God, is there bitterness there? Is there anger God, is there lust? Is there greed? Is there covetousness? Is there slander? Is, is, there, is there pettiness? God, what's in there? God, show it to me. I want to know. I want to see it. He's looking. Let me give you some other ones. Psalm 17. Verse, I just picked these out. Uh, Psalm 17, what verse is it? Um, verse 3. 
You've tried my heart. You've visited me by night. You've tested me. And you'll find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Psalm 26, verse 2. Prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. Well, what are these guys doing? They're, 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 they're taking time out. They're going to, to the spiritual doctor. They're going to their prayer time, their prayer place. And they're saying, God, I want you to run a diagnostic on my heart. God, do all the tests, God. Do it all. Show me what's in there. You know why? You know why we got to do this? Because we are masters at lying to ourselves about our hearts. Aren't we? Man, we can justify anything. Unless I'm just different than you. But I think I'm like you. And we can justify anything. We, we can stay in, in a bad spot for a long time. And we can justify it. We can be angry with people. We can be petty. We, we can be small toward God. That's something we hardly ever look at. Is my heart big toward God? Do I love Him? Am I affectionate toward him? When I sang the, the worship psalms just a little bit ago, was my heart, was it jumping for joy for God? Was it excited in the Almighty, in the God who reaches down into death and draws that little girl alive? I love that story. You know, am I, am I just overwhelmed with that? Or is it ho-hum? Is my heart shrunk up? Man, what is it? Look, ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit. You can't trust yourself. That's why the psalmist, that's why he's praying. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals truth. Isn't that what, isn't that what John 16 says? It's the Spirit of God who reveals, who convicts of righteousness and sin. He's the one that shows us what's going on inside of here. So how are we going to know what's in our heart? Well, we we got we to gotta run some diagnosis. We got to ask. We got to ask the Holy Spirit to, to check out our hearts. We got to come to Him and lay it bare. Put our cards and say, God, I really want to know. Show me. Show me my heart. And God, I'll, I'll turn away from sin. I'll turn to Jesus. You just show me what I need to do. Number two, we need to keep a close eye on our words. Okay? Now, here's where it gets tricky. Not the words you speak in the sermon. Okay? I, I don't need to look at these. I don't need to listen to it again. Uh, this as far as my heart. You know why? They don't, they, don't have, they don't paint a very good picture of my heart. You know what would paint a good picture of my heart? My words to Avery this week. My words to Emma this week. My words to Paula. My words to Andrew. My words to the McDonald's lady that takes my order five days a week. It's that health thing I'm on. I meet with guys though. I'm, I'm just thinking that the spiritual benefit of being in the word of God is going to enable me to eat McDonald's for breakfast five days a week and stay alive. What did I say to her? How are my words? Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you hear that? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, as I look at my words to my kids, my spouse, my friends, my neighbors, co-workers... What, what's, that, what, what's that full of this week? Is it full of praise? Did lots of people hear me this week saying, God is good. God is good. Full of thanksgiving? God, I'm so thankful. God, you just bless and you bless and you bless and you bless. 
Is, is, it, is it full of the word? Is it full of truth? I got truth coming out all the time. My heart's so full of the word of God. It's just spilling over. Speaking truth to others. Is it full of, full of love for others? How do we love others with our words? Oh, we speak truth to them. Affirmation. Encouragement. What, what would my family say? They say, Dad, man, Dad just spoke truth. He was just a voice of joy to us. He was a voice of encouragement. He's affirming us in the Lord. Casting of, is that what they say? You don't have to ask him. I'm, I'm, this, is not, this is a rhetorical question. You know, what do they say? Is that, is, that, is that the words I spoke? Or, or were my words complaining, grumbling, griping? Things are rotten. This is rotten. God's not done anything good for me. Everything stinks. Was there slander, gossip, mean-spirited, critical, chopping people up? Cursing, immoral speech. Hey, here's the deal. I don't know about sticks and stones, breaking bones, and words never hurting anybody. I, I think that's bogus. But here's what I do know about words. Whether they hurt anybody or not, they give a real clear picture of what's going on inside. Right? So, how do we know the condition of our heart? Well, we... We spend time in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to reveal. And he, he'll be so faithful to do that. I promise you. He, he always does it. If you, if you sit down, give him some time. Give him, give him 30 minutes with your Bible open. Pray. Ask him to reveal stuff. Go through the different areas of your life. Ask him, God, is there bitterness? God, is there anger? God, is Man, he, he'll, he'll bring it to you. He's faithful to do that. Look at your words. Man, what, what's coming out of me? What's coming out of me? That's, that tells me what's in me. Now, how do you affect the condition of your heart? Once you see the condition of your heart, how does it change? Okay, this is, this, is real, this is real important, okay? Here's how your heart changes, okay? Jesus Christ, okay? Did you guys get that? Your heart changes by the power of Jesus your heart changes by the power of Jesus, okay? You got to come to Jesus. Ezekiel, this is the same even in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, let me read it to you. 36, 26, and 27. Here's what's got to happen. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone. That's what you got in you before your salvation is a heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Bible is very clear about that. You, you got to have a new heart. Jesus has to give you a new heart. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to face the fact that you're broken. Your heart is broken. It's not about have I done the right things. It's about you've got a problem internally and you need a transplant. Jesus has got to take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The Bible says he's got to do that. He's got to soften your heart. You've got to repent of your sin and you've got to come to Jesus Christ in salvation. Now, once you're a believer... Once you're a believer, is there still things that need to be done? Yeah, continual maintenance on your heart, right? That's always the way it is. Listen to David in Psalm 51. 
Psalm 51, verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Here's the thing that we've got to do, Christians. We have to learn to be quick, okay? Some of you would say, I'm not very quick now, Pastor. I'm not very speedy, okay? Hey, I don't care if your legs work very good, but you've got to learn to be quick about repenting of your sin, okay? When you realize, when God reveals to you that your heart is in the wrong spot, you cannot stay there. You can't stay there. You, you can't just be okay with that. You can't be okay that my heart is wrong. You, you gotta turn quickly to Jesus. You gotta get to the cross as quick as you can and you gotta grab onto it. You gotta grab onto the righteousness of Jesus Christ for you. We, we had you know, a young lady came forward at, at, and fist straight afterwards and said, my heart's not where it needs to be. And man, I was able just to, to take her through, hey, the cross, you just grab onto the cross and you'll be made right. Jesus will cleanse you. He's the one that makes the leper clean and the woman with the blood clean and the dead girl rise. Jesus cleanses you. So you go to the cross and you got to get there quickly. And the thing we cannot do, Christians, is we cannot be content with a heart that is not where it needs to be. Man, that's, that's, that's cancer. For a Christian to have a heart that they know it's wrong, they know it's bitter, they know it's lustful, they know it's greedy, they know it's envious, they, they, they know it's angry. And they just leave it there. Don't leave it there. Get to the cross. And then as you go to the cross, and as you receive the forgiveness of Jesus and the cleansing of Jesus, then you know what you do? You say, okay, God, Now change my heart. Again, listen to the psalmist. These guys know how to pray. They know how to pray. Listen to them. Verse 32 of Psalm 119. I'm sorry, Psalm 119, verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. What's he praying there? When you enlarge my heart. He's saying, God, make my heart bigger. Make it bigger. God, it's small. It it doesn't have much capacity to love you, to obey, to follow, to seek you. So, God, you've got to enlarge it. God, you've got to boost it. You've got to make it bigger, God. Look at verse uh, 36 and 37. Man, I, I, I so miss. I don't take my kids to school anymore. That that I guess that time in my life is over for now. Uh, part of it is we, we can't keep more than two vehicles running at one time. That's kind of our rule. Always two, never more. Uh, but the second reason is I got teenagers and, they, and they, I'm really thankful for that. They, they take my kids to school. But when I used to take them to school, every morning, this was one of the verses we, we would say together. And it's a prayer. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. What, what is he praying there? Incline my heart. God, bend my heart in the right direction. He knows his heart should be better. He knows it should be different. And so he is asking, pleading, seeking God to bend it in the right direction, to turn it in the right direction. I mean, God's the one who does the heavy lifting. Aren't you glad for that? He's the one that does the heavy lifting in our life. But you got to ask him. you got to seek. you got to desire it. You can't just be content with a heart that's not where it's supposed to be. You can't just say, well, I know it's not where it's supposed to be, but you know what? I went to church and I gave something and, and you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't dress like those other people. So, hey, I'm good. No, you can't be content with a heart that's not where it's supposed to be. You got to come to Jesus and you got to ask him, you got to seek him, you got to pray. God, change my heart. Pull it in the right direction. Direct it. Shape it. I tell you what, I'm so thankful for Leona Logan.
Neona Logan was a, uh, a jet cadet teacher at Pence Community Church when I was a little heathen. And uh, you know what Leona did? Despite my lack of interest in God, despite my lostness as a little boy, she planted a whole bunch of verses in my head. It's one of the reasons I really like doing the memory program on Wednesday nights. I get to do that. I get to plant them there. They don't even know it. They don't have a choice. I just say them over and over and they memorize them. One of those verses we said every day at Jack and Dad's, just, just there. Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And what's he praying? God, my words, my meditations and my heart be acceptable to you. Not to me. Man, I can say all kinds of junk's acceptable. I've done it before. I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm ticked off, but I deserve to be, by golly. It's acceptable. No, it's not. Acceptable to you, oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Let's deal with our hearts, church. You know what? We do that. The outside's going to be okay. You know, you know what this sermon's not saying? This sermon's not saying, oh, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside, as long as your heart is good. I, I've heard people say that, you know. They're living in all kinds of sin. Oh, but my heart is right, Pastor. No. I don't think so, because what flows out of your heart doesn't look very good, you know. If you turn on the faucet and it's, it's brown with chunks, you need to call a plumber, okay? It's not okay. I don't care if you say it's okay. It's not okay. What's coming out is not okay. You're hooked up to the wrong line, okay? I know that. Let's deal with our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, I, uh, God, I ask you, God, just to shape our hearts. Lord, incline them, bend them, God, bend them, bend them, bend them in the right direction. God, bend them away from sin. Bend them to righteousness. Bend them to, to love for you and love for our brother. And God, bend them to a sweet spirit. God, bend our hearts. And God, when, just show us when they're wrong. Show us when, we, God, we want to see that. We don't want to ignore it. God, show us when our heart is wrong. God, we come to the cross to find cleansing and forgiveness and righteousness. Lord, we confess today we're not clean by anything we do. We are clean by Jesus, our King. Father, we ask it in your name. Amen.